James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And as always, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. God's word says, starting at verse 13, 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay. I think we're all familiar with Peanuts comic strips of the past. I know that most of the younger generation reads them. Lucy was philosophizing with Charlie Brown one day. And she said, Charlie Brown said, life is like a deck chair on a cruise ship. Some people place their deck chair where they can see what's in front of them. Others place their deck chair where they can see what they just passed by. And some place their chair where they can see what's going on in the present. Charlie Brown listens and then replied, I can't even get mine unfolded. There are times, if we're honest, in life that we feel pretty much like Charlie Brown. We, we need help to get our deck chairs open. How can we get our life unfolded so that we can settle into it? Who can help us? Who has that wisdom to point us in the right direction? We know we need all the wisdom we can get in making major decisions as well as minor ones because we know that the decisions we make impact those around us for the good or for the bad. This past week, an example of this came up with the popular church Hillsong in New York. One of my sons mentioned that he saw on the internet that they had a worship leader who was marrying another man. And this whole thing kind of spread over the internet. The couple that were in question were involved in leadership. But when, it, when the announcement came out, the pastors were just as shocked as anyone and removed them from their positions. And as a matter of fact, on this past Tuesday, August the 4th, Pastor Brian Houston released a statement. And he says, I want, I want to correct reports that Hillsong has an openly gay couple directing a choir in our New York campus. Hillsong's position on homosexuality and gay marriage has not changed and is consistent with Scripture. He continues, as I've stated previously, I believe the writings of Paul are clear on this subject. He went on and explained that as a complete surprise to them that this was taking place and that they don't place people living a homosexual lifestyle in leadership. He said, with that said, we still love them and acknowledge 
that they, like all of us, are on a journey. And our role as a church is to assist them on this journey with grace and compassion. He went on in a blog and elaborated on Hillsong's stance on homosexuality. And he said, Hillsong accepts and welcomes all people, but does not support all lifestyles. Plainly, we do not affirm homosexual lifestyle and therefore do not consciously put gay people in positions of leadership, whether paid or unpaid. He goes on and and ends it with saying, everyone is welcome to Hillsong except sexual predators, for those who want to cause disruption, and for those who have conflicting objectives. Who, in the midst of life, is ready to deal with these types of things? We all need wisdom in making decisions, whether it's as a church, or individually, or as a family. And we at Good News have the same policy on homosexuality and gay marriage that, that Hillsong does. We look to Scripture and believe that homosexuality is a sin. But we, too, want them to know that we love them and acknowledge that they, like we, are on a journey. And we want to meet them with grace and with compassion. But our, our culture has a different wisdom. And they're very strong at times in telling us that we must accept their lifestyle. As a matter of fact, this past week, a blog called Gawker, very popular, wrote that we as a church must accept the homosexual lifestyle because it's the way they show love. See, it's a different wisdom. God's Word says one thing and culture says something else. To go back and look in the Old Testament and New Testament, both make very clear that wisdom is of two kinds. Wisdom of God and wisdom of man. Wisdom from above. Wisdom from below. The Hebrew people knew that wisdom was not intellectual or behavioral. It was sometimes the mindset of the world. Qualifications for being wise have nothing to do with one's IQ. Many of us know very bright people who have uh, high IQs and yet would be considered a fool in the sense of their lifestyle. The test of wisdom is a life that's patterned by the truth of God's Word, obedience to it. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Life, again, is filled with struggles and with difficulties. And when we step out on the streets of life, sometimes we don't know which direction to go as we're on the street. What to expect? We aren't aware of the dangers that we might face. Who can help us? Whom should we listen to? You know and I know that there are many people willing to give us their wisdom. They're willing to counsel us. If we're having problems with our children, fathers, whom do we turn to? Do we just go to someone we play baseball with? If our marriage is on the rocks, do we just turn to just anyone? And young people, if you're considering college and struggling with what direction to go, 
Do you turn just to anyone? How do we handle these difficult situations in life? Situations that sometimes with very strong differing opinions, disagreements, potential conflicts in place. This past weekend when Chris and I were in Alabama, along with Zachary and Jerry, we had a family reunion. One of my nieces and her lesbian partner were there. My niece wore a very prominent cross. She talked about how God carried her through a tough time. Her partner wore very bold crosses for earrings. This past year, the Crimson Mosaic, our small group Bible study, went through a study on how to, to minister and care for for people struggling with homosexuality. And out of probably around 15 or 16 people, almost all of us had someone who struggles with homosexuality. How do we minister? How do we find that wisdom? And that's an issue for a later date, but my point is, as we go through life and we struggle, we need God's wisdom. Who will give us that wisdom? Out of all the counsel and advice, who will be right? The early church, as we continue in the book of James, was going through some very, very difficult times. And it seems very clear that, that they were getting feedback from different ones. They were offered advice. And some of them very heatedly offered their advice, adamantly saying that they were right. But others were saying that they had different views. To whom would they listen? James, in chapter 3, has already said that they should not listen to someone who is too quick to step forward. It's likely that he had not learned to control his tongue. To whom do we turn for godly advice? Well, James asked that question, and then he answers it in our passage today. James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Verse 13, he, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Then he answers it, He must show his good works by good conduct and meekness and in wisdom. And when we see that word humility or meekness, sometimes we think of a doormat or we think of someone like a jellyfish with no spine. That's not what meekness means or humility means. It means rather strength, strength under control. When we step out on the streets of life, not knowing which way to go, we need God's wisdom and understanding. To have wisdom and understanding means that we need to know where we're going and how to get there. We need to know God's goal for our lives. And James's summary answer is look to the meek person. Look, look to that gentle and humble person whose life you admire. Look to that person who goes just quietly about his life, living a godly life. Wise and understanding people are marked by their gentle humility. They won't act as if they have an answer for every question. They won't be too quick to make speeches. 
Neither will they be ego-driven. You won't sense that they have to prove themselves. You'll be impressed with their quiet lives. They won't bring attention to themselves. James expands on this summary answer in the remaining verses. First, he looks at whom we should not look to in verses 14 through 16 before describing in more detail the godly qualities of a person whom we should listen to in verses 17 and 18. In verse 14, we, should, we see we should not listen to one who lacks humility, someone who seems to be driven by his ego. Verse 14 says, But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. We see the motivation in verse 14 for false wisdom is bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. And out of this bitterness and out of this jealousy, they're quick to give advice. Sometimes it justifies their actions, shifting the blame for their failures to someone else. They sometimes want personal gain, prestige. They like to be the center of attention. Sometimes they'll play to a group because they want to get something from them. In verse 15, James gives the source of false wisdom. He says, This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but earthly, demonic, unspiritual. Notice first that this ungodly wisdom does not come from God. First, we see that it's earthly or worldly. It focuses on the here and now, not on eternity. It, in decisions that you make on how you spend your money, and how you live, do you focus on here and now or do we look toward eternity? You know, our worldly wisdom says, have it your own way. Have it your own way. Or look out for number one. And this wisdom seems to pervade philosophy today, sociology, education, politics, economics. Do you and do I, do we live for the here and now? Or do we live for eternity? First, false wisdom is earthly. Secondly, it's uns unspiritual. It's sensual, fleshly. It doesn't recognize God's governance of our lives. And this wisdom relates to a fallen man or sometimes to believers who want to accomplish God's purpose through using man's wisdom. But it doesn't work. Jude 19 says, It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But first, when we look at this ungodly wisdom, this worldly wisdom, we see first that it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and thirdly, it's demonic. And yes, even though it is human, even though it is worldly, even though it is fleshly, it's satanic. And Satan uses demonic influence in people's lives. Verse 16 says that the results of this false wisdom is that where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder 
in every vile practice. And disorder is not just confusion, it's disharmony, it's antagonism, it's the absence of unity and stability. And the word every evil thing is kind of a general term. And on its good end, if it is a good end, on its best end, it means worthless. On its worst end, it means vile and contemptible. Nothing ever good comes from worldly wisdom. This worldly wisdom comes from hell. It's of the devil. It goes against everything that God says in his word. It's very subtle, yet very powerful. In Genesis, remember the serpent tempted Eve to trust his wisdom instead of God's wisdom. If we're honest today as we live our lives, Satan continues to attempt to influence us in the same way that he did Adam and Eve. Worldly wisdom views life from a limited perspective. It doesn't see things in light of eternity, but the now. It's concerned with how I can advance myself or promote myself or assert myself. When a conversation is going on, how can I get something out of this? If we're honest, when we think about our marriages, isn't it selfish ambition that's the root of struggles in marriage? Isn't it selfish ambition? It's what's best for me. What's best for me in my marriage? Of course, worldly wisdom has a wrong picture of what's best for me compared to what God's Word says. And isn't selfish ambition the root of the American dream? Climb higher, climb the ladder, if you will, assert yourself, promote yourself, advance yourself. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, deny yourself. Big difference. Big difference. Selfish ambition is the heart of worldly wisdom. Yes, it is demonic. A home filled with selfish ambition is filled with disorder. There are dangers in families and friendship, work relationships when we pursue that. I've, I've walked into homes where they have beautiful homes. They have very nice furniture. But I walk in and I sense coldness. Coldness. See, because a home that's filled with selfish ambition is cold. Worldly wisdom produces anger and bitterness and resentment, division and divorce. It robs us of love and trust and fellowship and harmony. One author writes that while it's true that a tree is best measured when it's cut down, the fruit of a tree is best measured when it's up. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 that a tree is known by its fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. In other words, we're known by our actions, by our lives, 
Craig Bloomberg, in his commentary, quotes William Barclay. Wisdom from below is characterized by extreme and destructive individualism that always makes uh, the priority of number one and looks out for its own interest. Four manifestations of this destructiveness are arrogance, bitterness, fanaticism, self-centeredness, rivalry, and generally, there's a kind of person who is undoubtedly clever, shrewd, with a skillful tongue, but its effect, nevertheless, in any committee, in a church, in a group, is to cause trouble and to disturb personal relationships. He goes on and says it's sobering to think that this wisdom that he possesses is devilish rather than divine. We think back to the Old Testament and think of King Solomon. He was a man who initially in his younger years was wise. He asked for wisdom instead of anything else, and God gave him wisdom plus many other things, many other blessings. Later in life, we know that he got away from walking with the Lord. In Ecclesiastes, he writes, I said to myself, Look, I'm wiser than any of the other kings who have ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have a greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. And so I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness to folly. But I've learned that pursuing this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. In other words... Human wisdom is bankrupt. He makes clear that human wisdom is all about self. And in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, over and over and over, he uses the word, my mind, my body, me, myself. Because, see, when we're self-centered and ambitious for ourselves, it's all about me. It's all about me. Solomon discovered that self never satisfies. Its reward is always despair, hopelessness. His conclusion at the end of chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes says, Everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. Here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will be our judge for us, for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Of course, by the end of his life, that royal tree, Solomon, who had stood so straight and so tall, had rotted from within. His life is a reminder that selfish ambition and worldly wisdom leads to an empty life. The question for me and for you today is, what are our fruits? Do people see, in the midst of our fallenness, do people see godly behavior? Do they see gentleness, meekness? Or is there disorder and things that aren't from God? Where after describing false wisdom, James turns again 
to godly wisdom, giving its source and a description and its results in verses 17 and 18. We see a description here of godly wisdom in verse 17. For the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good works, impartial and sincere. Early in verse 13, we've seen that the test for someone with true wisdom was good behavior, meekness, wisdom, that gentleness. We don't get wisdom from intellectual effort or practical experience as much as from God. Yes, God uses those things in our lives. They come from a close walk with God. His wisdom sees things from an eternal perspective. People who have God's wisdom will first be pure. First be pure. And, and this, yes, it means free from defilement, but it also suggests uh, not only moral purity, but also purity of motive. It's the same motive that we see in First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, when he exhorts the wives who have unbelieving husbands. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands so that if any of them do not know or believe the word, that they may be won without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Peter is saying here to these wives, live a godly life, be pure. May your husband then in turn turn to Christ. And this purity that Peter's talking about is the same purity that James is talking about. They don't have an agenda. They don't have ulterior motives. Secondly, people with godly wisdom are peace-loving. And finally, we see that they're full of mercy and good fruits. They're sincere, not flattering, not pretending in order to gain something. Summarizing, I think we could probably use two words. I think all these, these uh, descriptions really boil down to two things, purity and peace. Purity and peace. We see peace-loving, gentle, open to reason full of mercy and good works, impartial and sincere, not a hypocrite. And finally, in verse 18, we see the results of godly wisdom. It says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What a difference, isn't it? False wisdom, wisdom from below, produces Disorder and evil. But God's wisdom produces peace and righteousness. When we in our lives, when we face these hard questions and, and struggles, and we're looking for counsel, whom do we go to? We go to someone who has God's wisdom. 
listen to that gentle, humble person who brings peace for their counsel can lead to a harvest of righteousness. Is there peace in your life? Is there peace in your marriage? Or you or I wanting to get our own way? Is there peace in the family? Is there peace at work? Is there peace in your relationships with your family and others? The book of James continually emphasizes that the person who professes to be a Christian must prove it by his works, by daily living. And he's not by any means saying that we're perfect because we all know that we fall short. There should be that movement in our lives. If someone is a true believer, he'll possess God's wisdom. That wisdom that will manifest itself in righteousness, in peacefulness, and in selfless living. John 3.16 says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I wanted just to, to remind us this morning that Christ came to give us life, and life to its fullest. Verse 17, I read verse 16. Verse 17 of John 3 says, Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it from condemnation. You know, I don't know about your life. I don't know what you walked in today. I don't know what you limped in today. Because life is hard, and we struggle, and we face difficulties. And I want to remind you that it's in Christ that we have life. And no matter what the world says, it's He and He alone that brings us forgiveness, or offers forgiveness. You may come in today and, and, and you may be thinking, if people knew what I was struggling with, they'd be shocked or they'd be dismayed. But I want you to know, I want you to realize that we here today are a broken people. Sometimes we feel like we're shattered. People who are in, a pro- in progress. People moving along in our journey toward God. And perfectly. We fall and we fail, but in God's grace, we get up and we move forward. And it is in Christ Jesus alone that we find this forgiveness for our sins. He alone, no matter what the world says. So as we look at at this passage, it talks about false wisdom from down below, from Satan, which is worldly, which is fleshly, unscriptural, demonic. Our world looks at that sometimes and sees it as the answer. Because you see, Satan is very subtle. But we know true wisdom 
because it comes from God. And I pray that as we go through life, when we go out these streets, out these doors to this street, that we have God's wisdom. We can look to Him. We can know which way to go because He directs us. Well, let's pray.